Well, we are continuing our series on Second Peter, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I hope you will enjoy this book. This is Peter's last book because Jesus tells him in verse 13 through 15, we saw last week that he was going to die. And one of your assignments was, if you knew that, what would you say to your family and friends to write a letter? And I received one from one of our parishioners, and it was, a, it was powerful. I mean, it was just a powerful, and she kind of wrote it to us as a family of what was important to her, and just, uh, it, was, it was an incredible process. So I encourage you, if you didn't do that last week, it's a, it's a great exercise just to say, what would I want to say? If I knew this was all coming to an end, what would I want to leave? What kind of legacy would I want to leave behind? And so... Um, Peter writes and he looks out. I said he was looking out the window. What was going on is uh, you have Nero who's lighting Christians up in his garden, setting them up blaze, putting families in the, the arena, feeding them to wild animals. And he sees not only that taking place in society, but as he looks at the church, the church that he was told to go build, he saw issues that were taking place. He saw things that were creeping in. He saw false doctrines, false teachings within this young church. He saw moral compromise taking place within the church. So this is, this is not a letter written to the people, the masses. This was written to the churches that were to circulate through to make sure they understood what they were up against and what they needed to do to fight that. And that's the theme of this book is how to battle false doctrine and moral compromise in the last day. And we talked, we used a big theological word last week, imputation, which basically means that because of what Jesus did, not only in his life and on the cross, his righteousness has been placed to my account, imputed to me. And so not only are my sins forgiven, I receive his righteousness, and that's what God sees. When I stand before him, he sees the righteousness of his son, not my righteousness, because there's nothing I can do to impress God that, that would earn me my salvation. It's only based on what Christ has done. And not only did he take away my sin, took away my debt, he also credited my account with his righteousness. And that's why Peter calls it this precious faith. And how do we get that is through a knowledge. Not this knowledge that's up in the head, not an intellectual, not a just a given assent. Yeah, God exists. It was a heart knowledge deep inside that God truly exists. And because of that, how should I then live? How does that help me fight against moral teaching that, uh, immoral teaching that's crept into the church and the moral compromise? And we use the snorkeling, diving illustration that the deeper you go, the more peace you will find. Even though the water is rough on, on top, when we sink down into who God is and what God is about, that's where true peace is. And so I'm going to read... 2 Peter 1 through 4, we covered the first two verses last week just to kind of get the context, and then we'll hit verses 3 and 4 today. It says here, 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who through righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us a very great and precious promise. Well, there we go. 
Did I just grab it? I'm just going to grab it now. I suck the life out of everything that's electronic. See? Okay, there we go. All right. This happened yesterday, too. Verse 4. Though through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Verse 3. His divine power has given us everything. His divine power, this is the word dunamis. This is this explosive power. This is this dynamite. It's where we get the word dynamite from. And I want you to grab, because this will be mentioned several times, of what Peter's connecting to. You understand, he knew who Jesus Christ was. He understood all of that. And he's saying it's because of his divine power. It's because of his divine power that we have salvation in the first place. It's his divine power that we get to participate in the supernatural. And if you're a believer here today, I want you to understand something. God himself, the creator of the entire universe, worked to move you to a place where you would receive him. If you're not a believer yet, you're sitting in church. The divine power of God, the creator of the universe, got you here on Sunday morning. This is God working, and I don't want you to miss that part, that the God of the universe is totally at a word. His majestic power is always there. And because of his power working, it gives us everything we need. So I started writing this down. I, I said, now what are the things... That instantly happened the second I said yes to Jesus. I'm telling you, when I start writing them down, and and they're in your notes with a lot of verses after it to look it up, because that was a great exercise. Because not only as I was writing, what instantly happened the minute in that college library when I said yes to Jesus Christ, what instantly happened to me? And as I start writing down the list and then going through the scriptures and searching those out, look at this list. Your sins were instantly forgiven and taken away. They were cast as far as east as from west. They were buried in the deepest ocean, never to be remembered again. You might remember them. Someone else might remember them. But God's not sitting there. Yeah, I remember that on December 7th, you know, you did this in 1982. It's not that he is stupid. It's not that, I just don't remember. He chooses not to use that. He chooses not to go back to that. Why? Because... Our sins have been forgiven. Our sins have been cast away instantly. At that moment in time that I said yes, at that moment in time, Jesus' righteousness, we said this last week, was instantly applied to my life. Not only was I, my debt was taken away, I was credited at the exact same moment in time. Instantly, the Holy Spirit filled my soul. The Holy Spirit of God filled my life at that moment in time. You were instantly adopted as God's kid. Boom. Paper signed. You're one of his ch- children. I mean, again, I want you to somehow gather inside your brain all the things that instantaneously happened the minute you said yes. His promises were instantly put to your disposal. We'll talk about that in a second. You're instantly placed into the fellowship of the redeemed. All of a sudden, we're part of a greater family. And even this morning, as I was praying through the churches that I've been in, from Lesotho to Lebanon to India to Nicaragua, and then all the churches here in town, we are all part of God's family. We are a part of the bigger family, the big C of God, the big church. Your name was instantly written down in the book of life. 
you were instantly have access to the throne room of God. Now, again, I don't think we sit back. When I pray, I am now entering spiritually into his throne room to offer my prayers to him. I mean, I don't care if I'm in my poker room. I don't care if I'm outside. I don't care if I'm driving my truck. It doesn't matter. I instantaneously have access to the throne room of God. Not only that, I've got a, a new name Revelation talks about. We talked about that a little bit in Revelation where a stone will be handed to it with a name that only Jesus and I know. You were instantly given spiritual gifts to serve God. I guarantee you have one, if not more, that were given to you the minute you said yes because he, he's the one who gifts. He's the one in the service of God. You were instantaneously placed on God's team to share the message of Jesus. I mean, it'd be great if a 2,000-foot Jesus would show up in golf and say, hey, go see Tim, but that's not what he did. He says, I want you on my team. I want you to go around. I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to spread my word. That's given to us. We're part of his team. You're instantly booked for a room built by in heaven himself. You got a room that he has built, and when it's time for you to go home, that means your room is done, all right? And he's bringing you there. You are instantaneously grafted into the vine of God where all of a sudden the power, his life is flowing through me because I'm tapped in to God himself. I, I could have gone farther. I just those And look up those verses, and that should encourage you. That's what happened the minute this divine power came into my life when I received that gift from him. Now, I, I need to say something here. I'll probably repeat it here, his divine power, because there is a false teaching that's crept into the church by several famous TV preachers and writers of book and things that will go off and saying, you have become divine. You are now Jesus Christ. You are now little gods walking around. And, guys, I've heard it over and over and over again in the context. And, guys, you are not Jesus himself. You're not going to walk out. If Jesus were to appear right here, right now, you wouldn't go, hey, doppelganger. Man, we look exactly the same. That wouldn't happen. You'd be falling down, crown him with many crowns. I'm falling down at his feet. But there's a teaching today that's crept in the church that you're the power. You have, I'm connected to the divine power, but I'm not the power. He's the power. 2 Peter 1, 3 goes on to say, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Paul says this in Philippians. We quote it many times. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And this passage of all the passages has been taken out of context and abused today. Again, another false teaching that crept into the church then and it's crept into the church now. So my question is this, does this mean God is bound to give us everything we want? I mean, if I, if I read this right, John 14, Jesus, I mean, he's about ready to go to the cross. He's telling his disciples this. Verse 13, John 14, 13 says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. I would like a Ferrari. Uh, is that going to happen? No. I would like a new leg. All right, not a new prosthetic one. I mean, I know someone, I, I, he said, I pray every day that I'm going to wake up with a new leg, literal new leg extending off. I said, dude, that happens. You give me a call, all right, because I, I want to see that. Because, and he claims this passage. He's going to give me everything in my name. They don't keep reading. Context is so important, guys. 
so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Yeah, he'll give me what I need. Guys, God is not a spiritual Santa Claus up there. He's not a little genie I rub a bottle and now poof, he's got to bend to my will. He's got to do what I tell him to do. I mean, I want to start with you. How many here have grandkids? Raise your hand. Grandkids. I love grandkids, all right, because you can spoil them and send them home with mom and dad, right? Rile them up and let them go, all right? But here's the deal. Have you ever said no to your grandchild? Come on, really? Really? You said no to your grandchild? Why? How can you say no? Look at those beautiful girls sitting next to you. I mean, how do you say no? I mean, you're supposed to be a loving grandmother. I mean, aren't you supposed to do whatever they say? Of course not. And if you do, we have a class for that, all right? Because that's dumb. That's stupid. I mean, yeah, I want my kids, grandkids to be happy. I, I mean, I love my grandkids. I love that they're next door. I get to hear, Papa. I mean, it does my heart good. But no, I don't give them everything. There's a part of me I'd love to give them everything, but everything would not be good for them. And God knows that. So, guys, this is not God giving us this spiritual, just ask me for whatever you want in my name, and boom, I have to do it. Because if that were true, who's the power really? If Jesus has to do what I tell him to do, doesn't that put me above him? If he has to obey me? Now, does God give us desires of our heart, yes or no? I mean, almost 37 years ago on our wedding invitation, was Psalm 37, where it says, God will give you the desires of your heart. Thank you, Jesus. He did give mine. And sometimes he does give us our desires, just like a grandparent wants to give the desires to their grandkids. But that doesn't mean he's going to give us everything because he knows what I truly need. God does not bend to my will. I bow down to his. He does not mean that believers, when he says he gives us everything we need, doesn't mean believers aren't going to have pain. Trust me. If you see me, I'm on my knee scooter right now. But not because of this leg. Because this one's deciding to send us shooting pains down my leg. What is going on? What, do you feel jealous all of a sudden? This one's getting all the attention? All right? Guys, this stuff happens. Paul would pray. Man, I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to have want. I've been beaten. I've been hungry. I've been all this... So this passage does not say God is just going to give me everything I need. What it does say is that he'll give you everything you need to serve him. Everything will be. God's faithful servants will be fully supplied with that, what we need to continue to serve him. That's what Peter's saying. I mean, he's saying this to a church who's under persecution. You would think that here's a church... Christians are being lit up in the gardens for lights for Nero. You got people being fed to lions. You got persecution everywhere. How does that work? That he'll give you everything you need. Or, guys, when you serve him, he will give you everything you need to accomplish the task that he has set forth. That's my God, who is faithful to me. And so I don't doubt. I mean, I, ministry wise, I, I think it was good that. When and I start off as missionaries, I mean, we, we know missionaries who have to raise their support. I mean, that's called trusting times. How many times my wife would look at me, honey, are we going to get paid today? Let's see what comes in the mail. I mean, we were living month by month. I understand that. So all of a sudden, when I get into church work where this is the first job I've actually got a check on time, all right, that 
I don't. I mean, board, I don't worry about money. I, I don't know if it's going to happen. Because if God's behind it, everything will come to pass. Because he promises that in the service of him. That's my God who gives us everything we need. And it goes on in verse 3 when it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. This life not mean, does not mean physical life. All right, he does, I mean, I thank God for the food he gives me, the abilities that he gives me, but this is spiritual life and godliness that go hand in hand. And how I define godliness is this. It means a proper response to the things of God, which produces obedience in my life and righteous living. That there's something different about me because of his divine power who's given me everything I need to do the task that he has set for me. In my spiritual life, I'll have everything I need. And because of that, my life will be showing for as a godly life in how I obey him and how I live for him. Verse 3 goes on to say, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Um, guys, I gain knowledge from God, from prayer. I gain knowledge from God because the Holy Spirit of God is inside of me who brings back to remembrance all those things, who reminds me of things from big to little. That's what the promise was. Plus, I'm going to beat this drum till the day I die. You have to be in the word, guys. You have to, that's, that's how I know him. That's, I have to dive into that, and I will continue to hound on that. Am I perfect at that? No. But I know that I need to be in the word, and I said it last week, not just to preach a sermon for you guys. I read for myself that has no sermon. It's just for me to see the glories of God, to see the majesty of God, to have questions as I'm writing and trying to understand what God is saying to me. That knowledge is not a head knowledge. It's a heart knowledge. And that only comes from listening to the Spirit of God. It only comes from a prayer that I'm spending time with God in prayer. And it only comes when I'm in his word. A thing that people around the world do not have access to. Guys, of all the times in human history, the access that we have to the Bible, that every one of you on your smartphone device can have a hundred different translations at your fingertip. And how easily we do not use that. And remember, when Peter is writing, there was no New Testament floating around yet. Matter of fact, this letter that he wrote would be passed around from church to church. Maybe someone would write something down from it to remember, but they didn't have access to flip through. Well, what did John say? What did Paul say? What, what did James say? They didn't have that like we have that access to, but how we take it so much for granted. And guys, back to the snorkeling thing, the deeper you go, the more you're going to know of who he is, that when those times come, when difficulty comes, when it seems like culture is going crazy in a hell in a handbasket, you're looking at this, I go back to the word. Nothing has changed. Still, it was crazy then. It's crazy now. And what I love about the end of this verse, he says, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You have to personalize this that I'm here, I'm a, I'm a child of God because of the glory of God, because, but because of his goodness to me. Guys, when things are difficult, when pains and sorrows and things come my way, I still have to sit there. 
I am saved. I will be in heaven today because Jesus wanted me there is because of his goodness, not mine, but all his. And that's why when the Westminster Confession we use this often, that man's chief end is to glorify God and then to enjoy him forever. Enjoy him forever. I mean, I've got to get to know him to truly enjoy it forever. But my chief end is to bring glory to God in all that I do. Paul, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whatever you eat or drink, so at lunchtime today, whatever is up on the docket for lunch, I know, I, you know I'm cooking some, I'm not going to tell my wife what she's got. I don't even know if she peaked what I'm cooking. But, man, I got some ribeyes. I've got, I'm going to do some special potatoes. I'm going to, we're going to, I shouldn't tell anymore because I'm hungry now. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take great glory in eating and drinking today. And we should, when you take that bite, oh, thank you, God, for making cows. Thank you, God. Giving him glory for what he's provided for us. So whatever you're eating and drinking, whatever you do, bring glory to God about it because that's our job. So I don't care what you do for a living. You're supposed to bring glory to God in your marriage, in raising your family, in your neighborhood, in the places that you work. Your job is to bring glory to him, however. And sometimes that's just saying, God, you are good. Look at what you provided for me today. And all I've got it today, I don't know if i got tomorrow. And the question in your notes is this. So how is your life bringing glory to God right now? Only you can answer that. When you look at your life and ask, like, am I, is my life bringing glory to him? In my job, am I bringing glory to him? In my family, how I love my wife, how I love my husband, am I pursuing them? Do they know why, that the energy that's behind that? My kids, my grandkids, my neighbors, my church body? How am I bringing glory to God? That should make you sit for a while Take out a pencil and a paper, pen and pen or whatever, and start writing those out. This is how I'm doing it. How could I bring you more glory? But that's why I'm here. Verse 4 says this. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. One of the first books I ever was given to me was All the Promises of God. Now, someone, if you type in promises of God, how many promises of God are there? Someone went through the entire Bible, and they, they said they found 7,487 promises of God. Over 7,000. Now, my little book that was first given to me was 700. They were just off by zero on that. But 700, that's a lot. And on the back of your list, I know I printed it last week because I thought we were going to get farther last week, but it's on the back of your notes this week of just promises that God makes, that Jesus makes, that he makes to us. But there's some things, truths I want you to understand about God's promises. God's promises throughout the Bible were given to specific, at specific times to specific people. Just because you read a promise that was made to Hosea or to some other person does not mean that promise applies to you. That's the danger of people. Well, I'm claiming this promise that was made 4,000 years ago. 
Guys, it was made to a person in a particular time, in a particular place, for a particular situation. I'm not saying that may not be for you, but don't automatically assume that that promise applies to you because it just could apply to them. Context is so important. And so when you look at it, you have to say, not just, well, why isn't that promise to me? You've got to look at that. See, God kept his promise. Look how he kept his promise here and his promise here and his promise here. So when he does make promises to you, you can be assured he is faithful in keeping those. God's promises are often conditional. And when you look at a promise, look if there's any if then. Because there's plenty of, if you do this, then this will happen. All right, that, that's how we live life, all right? Kids, if you do this, then I promise I'm going to do this. God says the same things. If you obey here, then guess what? Then I will do this. So many times his promises are con- conditional. God gives us promises to help us better submit to his will and trust him. That all of a sudden, I'm going to take that promise, but I'm going to have to submit my will. I don't have God submit to mine. How often we pray for God to bless our plans that we make, and we invite God in the process after they've been made. Kind of like God, follow me. I've already, I've already decided this is the direction I'm going, so bless me, bless me. God said, well, did you consult me on any of this? Did you ask me at all whether this is something you should be doing, something you should be pursuing, something you should be buying? Have you asked me what my will is, not for me to bend my will to you? And lastly, we cannot presume to know precisely when, where, or how God's promises will be fulfilled in our lives. I don't know when. I have many things in my, my journal that I copy and paste into the next journal of what I believe promises that were made to me, but they just haven't been fulfilled yet. We're the instantaneous. We want that promise now. I mean, look at when God made a promise to Abraham, how long that took. When God made a promise to Moses, when God made a promise to so many people, the length of time, I'm not in control of that. My control comes when I focus in on who God is. God, I'm trusting you that this, this is, I believe this is for me. And so I'm not claiming it in Jesus' name, so you have to do it. I, I am saying, God, I believe that this is for, for me. I believe you said this is for me. And so I will wait patiently because your promises are great and precious. Verse 4 continues. Through these, he has given us his very great, great and precious promises that so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. There's that word again, divine nature. And two words there, may. It's not a given. The choice is yours. You may participate with the divine nature. Think about that. You get to participate with the God of the universe. God has a plan. And he wants to include you in that plan. But he's not going to drag you across the street, make you talk like a puppet to your neighbor. He's not going to make you text someone. He's not going to make you go on a mission trip. I don't want to go. You're going. That's not how it works. You may participate. That is your choice on a daily basis whether you're going to participate with what God wants in your life. Because he does have a plan. And again, his plan includes my participation. Now, let me say it again. I get to participate with the divine nature. I don't become it. 
Again, that's a teaching. I don't know if you've heard that. I can, I can name preachers, and maybe when we get to chapter 2, I will, that is putting this teaching within the church. And it sounds so good. It sound, that sounds biblical. And they get, they, those preachers can get their people riled up. Yeah, we're, we're little. We're Jesus walking around. Okay, I'm supposed to be like him. I'm not him. I get to participate. I don't become. And here's the thing. God's plan includes, there's a, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 3 where Paul is writing here. And I want you to see what he says here about himself. He says, this is Paul writing, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Guys, our job is to seed into water. I can't make anyone grow. I can't make you grow. There's nothing, I have no power whatsoever to make you grow. Only God can do that. All the power that I have is to plant a seed. All the power that I have is hopefully water in. I'll till the soil. I'll give fertilizer to it. I'll do everything within my power, but God is the one who causes it to grow. Many times when teaching evangelism, you know, well, if I'm going to share my faith, then I got to get to the gospel. I got to, I got to tell them within 30 seconds, Jesus saved my life. Now, you may get to that point, but sometimes you're just planting seed. When we're in Mexico, we, we hook up with friends there that we've made over five years. And every time we get together, man, I'm just, I just pray, Lord, just help us plant a seed. Help us till the soil some more. And he does. It just, it, I'd love to watch him work. That I, God, bring this to a spiritual conversation without me forcing it. But let me see the opening that you give. Because my job is to plant a seed. Once I realize that I can't save anybody, because I thought, you know, I, man, I gave a gospel presentation. They didn't say yes. Where am I failing? I must not be leaning on the power of God. Now, that's God's job. My job is to plant seeds. My job is to water. I mean, they, they had it correct here. But here's a question I have when I read stuff like that. If, they had, if Apollos and Paul hadn't participated, would any of growth had occurred. He, he moves me in such a way that I should do such and such. I should call so-and-so or grab lunch with so-and-so or do something, and I choose not to do it. Does that mean, well, I wanted to plant a seed in that guy's life, and you didn't show up, so he's bound for hell now. That puts a lot of power on me and a lot of guilt on me because here's the deal, guys. If I don't do it, God will find somebody else that will. He's looking for people to participate with him. He wants you to be part of the plan. Again, no 2,000-foot Jesus saying, go see Tim. He's saying, go talk to him. Go have lunch with him. Go give him a call. Text this brother and just see how he's doing. Man, I'm praying for you. That's when the Holy Spirit is moving and you're, you're listening. He's, he's prompting you to participate with. And it's amazing when I take that. And I'll text someone, hey, man, I was thinking about you today. I was praying for you. I did that several times this morning out in my, prayer, out in my poker room. Man, I, I, you're on my heart. I was praying for you, and this is what I'm praying for. How many times I get the text back, dude, I needed to hear that. You don't know how desperately I needed to hear that today. That's participating with. 
I'm not going to say I do that all the time because I don't because I'm busy. I got plans. I got I to gotta, I gotta do. Maybe that's just a thought that I can shake it off. I get to participate with him. I get to partner with God who has a plan of redemption for mankind. Of all the things that you can be, oh, we need to fight for equal rights. We need to fight to save our planet. I'm not saying those things are bad things. I'm not saying those things are... Because I get to participate in God's grand plan for the redemption of man. What better participation can there be in this world? Whether it be with my children, whether it be with my family, whether it be with my neighbors, whether it be my coworkers, I get to participate with a plan because he's already working. He's already doing his thing. I told someone I, I gave a call to, to a certain person. I said, you know, I just told him, yeah, I called him up for lunch and we're going to have lunch. How'd you do that? I found his number. I called him up and I said, let's do lunch. And he just said, yes. Yeah, that's how it works sometimes. I mean, you just got to take the step. If you'd have said no, I wouldn't have said, well, I'll never do that again. I said, hey, I'll call you next month. Maybe it'll work out next month. The whole point is, is that when God prompts and we follow up, we're participating, we get to plant seeds, we get to water, to watch God grow it up and go, wow, look what God has done. We get to partner with the God of the universe who created all things. He's got a plan, and he's called me to participate with it of the redemption of man. I get to play a part. Reservoirs 4 says this. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by its evil desires. This word escape literally means a successful flight. You've run away from. Why have I run away from that? Because he's called you. Because he's imputed his righteousness upon you. He has given you these things instantaneously, access to the promises of God. He wants you to participate in his plan. And that, doing that, I escape the corruption. And this word corruption literally means decomposing rotten stench of this world. Can we all agree this world stinks right now? I, I mean, personally, I read the news and go, how much worse can it get? I, I, I don't know. It can get a lot worse, guys. It's going to get a lot of worse if I read my Bible correctly. But because of what Jesus did, I escaped that corruption. This is what he's talking about, that moral compromise, because people were compromising morally within the church. They were just saying, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. We'll address that when we get to chapter 2. That's okay. I mean, we really should be doing this. And the church just kind of continues to be that frog in the kettle, and the heat gets turned up, and we just adapt to the culture, and we're just accepting of all things Till all of a sudden the church becomes this place where it's just a place where the ears are tickled and no truth is talked about. Guys, it's so easy to get to that place. And Satan's patient. He understands the power of the, the evil desires that is in you. But guess what? Jesus broke that. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer a slave to unrighteousness. Why? 
because he imputed upon you his righteousness. He took away your sins, credited your account. You now have this precious faith, and he's given you this knowledge to, to understand and believe in him. And based on that, you get to escape not only the false teaching, because why I know him, Jesus would not say that. And when somebody says, yeah, it says it right here. All right, let, let's go to that verse. Can you show me that verse where it says that? Well, I heard it somewhere once. I go, okay, before you start believing stuff because some guy with a rev or a doctor in front of his name said it, let's verify what the word of God says because that's my sieve. That's where everything I'm going to pour through to see if it makes it through what the word of God says. And that's how I have to live. That's how I escape false doctrine and false teaching. That's how I escape moral compromise. Is this how I should be living? Is this how I should be acting? What does the word of God say? And that's what Peter, again, this whole letter is trying to get us to, how to battle false doctrine and moral compromise in the last days. Because if you think it's difficult now, just wait. Compromise is... Compromise is a good word. Can you, can you be married and not use the word compromise? Hello. Okay, compromise, that's not a bad word. It is when I compromise my faith, though. It is when I compromise for the sake of culture, not for the sake of Christ. And that's what this early church was facing, and I believe that's what we as a church are facing today. How do you battle? Understand, a divine and supernatural work has taken place in your soul. The God of the universe has touched you personally, has given you this precious gift. He said, as you're my faithful servants, you'll be fully supplied with everything you need to serve me. Whatever task I put you on, and I guarantee you guys, every single one of you have a task, a job that he wants you to participate with, and he's going to say, I'm going to give you everything you need to do this. Well, I think I need this. No, you don't need that. You need this. And when I lean into that and trust him that his promises are real, his promises are true, he's given me, and I know he's going to give me. I may not have it yet. Many times, guys, a work of God does not begin when you have all your resources in hand. It doesn't work that way. It's usually you have to begin to trust him, and he says, here it comes. That's why I love the passage in the Bible where the nation of Israel is told to you know, go take the promised land. They're going to cross the river, and the river is at flood stage. And they tell the priest, you've got to take the Ark of Covenant that's got all these rocks and tablets and everything in it, and you need to take this heavy golden box, and all the priests got to get into the water before the miracle will begin. I, I always picture the priest, what, we got to get in the water? And by the way, it's at flood stage. I love that. Just, let's just make it a little bit more difficult. It'd be one thing to get in a river that's moving with a lot of heavy load, but let's make it at flood stage now. And the miracle did not take place until their feet were in the water. God normally operates that I'm going to move in your life. I'm going to tell you to do something. You start moving towards that, and I'll provide the way to get you there. But it's going to cost us. I will provide the way it's going to get you. I really feel that God's moving me in this direction. And you've been warned. I've talked, we've said it for 25 years I've been here. You come to me with an idea. Tim, I think the church should be doing this. I'm going to look at you and say, what? When do you start? He hasn't given me that idea. 
What can we do to help you in this ministry to do that? Now, you may tell me a ministry that's just, all right, let's get some other council to talk about. I think what we should do is build a 1,000-foot tower out here and put a cross on it, and we'll have someone praying over the city up on top of the tower. Okay, other than city ordinances and things, maybe God's, that's not what God is saying. Maybe God is saying you come to the church and pray for an hour in your tower called a car and for the city of God. Maybe it's for God to kind of drive around Galt and pray for different things. Maybe that's God because I, need, I may have a great idea, but I bring it to my friends and say, I was thinking about this. What do you think? And much like several people on my staff and on the board saying, okay, where's this money going to come from? How are we going to do this? What? I mean, we have to ask serious questions, but it's the counsel of godly people that all of a sudden a plan. That's why we say at staff meeting, hey, throw out an idea out there, but understand it's going to get kicked around. It's going to be abused. It's going to be slapped around, and I guarantee you it'll be better at the end of the day. Because all of a sudden you've got all these people also with the knowledge of God, also with the promises of God, that may have a different perspective to make this project even better than it is. But I get to partner with him. Don't, don't miss that. I get to partner with the God of the universe who created all things in the plan that he has to redeem man. He has not called you, if you're a believer in Christ, just to wait for heaven. I'm just going to sit here and wait for Jesus to take me home. He has called you to get involved, to join him in his plan. Peter knew that. Go build my church, Peter. He's called us to participate in that plan, to bring glory to him. And again, I'm going to go back to the question. So how is your life bringing glory to him? I don't care what you do for a living. I think I said this last week, just like there's a guy who was one of the servers at the pool in Mexico. He asked me about my tattoo. And as we got talking, I told him, I said, I, I said, I promise you, Mark, Marco was his name. I promise you, Marco, God did not place you on this earth to bring me a soda. That's not why God has you here. Now, he may use you bringing me a soda to make a living to do something else. But he didn't create you just to be a server around this pool. He created you to take the resources. He's put a gift inside of you to do something great that he wants you to do because that's why it's great. It's a part of his plan. It may not be great in the scheme of man. People will maybe never see, but God says, I need you to do this in this person's life. You don't understand the chain of events that will take place because you moved when I told you to call, when I told you to move, when I told you to give. You don't understand. This is part of my plan. I get to see the big picture. Then now I'm going to move you to a place that you never even conceived of, but I needed you to take the first step in this. That's why God has placed us here, that we get to participate with the God of the universe to bring him glory. If that don't get your engine started in the morning, I don't know what will, right? Father, I thank you that you have called us. You've given us a precious gift. You've given us promises. You've, you've instantaneously done things in my life the minute I said yes so many years ago. And you still want me to join you in this plan. And each one of the people in this room who are watching on TV, in their living room, wherever they may be driving a car, you have placed a calling on their life. You've gifted them. And you've asked by his divine power, I get to participate in the divine nature of your plan of what you're doing. 
Help me not miss that. Because my chief end is to bring you glory and to enjoy you forever. May we do that today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.